Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, how many people need a push into their week? You need a push into your week? Because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to push you into this week. That's my job. I'm going to give you a real push. If you weren't here last week, uh, we're in a new series. And I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how long I'm... We have at least another week in this series, and the title of the series is The Strike Zone. And if you're someone that's like, man, I don't know, I'm, I'm sh- I wasn't here last week. What did you talk about? I'm the kind of preacher, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have the book of Leviticus memorized. I don't care if you dated some guy named Levi and it didn't go too well, right? I want to draw you in to the story so if you have your Bible, you want to, you know, look at it on your phone, we're going to be in the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 13, and we're really going to continue to uh, exegete this story. And there are a lot of principles that I want to look at. The title of last week's sermon was Three Strikes and You're Out. The title of the sermon this morning is The Three Ps. Why don't you look at your neighbor and, just, I don't know, pick the, the one that's better looking and just say... Uh, you better pick the one that is on your, hey, you better pick the one that's on your right. And say to them, yeah, the three, we're learning about the three Ps today, the three Ps. I had an administrator years ago, right, right you know where I'm going with this, right? The five Ps, prior planning prevents poor performance. My sermon has nothing to do with that, but I was thinking about that. So the three Ps, let's just open up in a word of prayer before we jump into the word. Oh, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the story. Lord, I thank you, as Dana said at the table this morning, Lord, you're drawing us deeper. Father, I ask that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this place today. Father, may we not walk out the same way that we came in. Lord, we take your blood over this meeting, the rest of this meeting. Father, may your word penetrate hearts. May your word penetrate minds. Lord, I ask that as the word goes forth, that it would be preached into good soil. Lord, I thank you that I have prepared. Lord, I thank you that the music team prepared. I thank you that Lee prepared, Lord, in setting up the chairs. Everything has been prepared. Lord, I ask that hearts would even prepare right now to hear what your word is this morning. Amen. Isn't that amazing when you think about it and you come into the church? Things aren't just happening at 10 o'clock. The worship team was here at 8 o'clock this morning preparing for us to come in to his presence. Pre, his presence. Before you plop down on that chair, somebody plowed. Lee, you set up the church. Things were happening. So we need to have open hearts to hear what God has for us. Mike, I missed you last week, man. Am I supposed to, how am I supposed to preach without you? Right? I'll try, though. All right. Here we go. We're going to be in 2 Kings, and we are going to start. Uh, am I hitting it the wrong way? No. You guys can just change it for me. We'll start there at, uh, at verse 14. You want me to hit it? There it is, Scotty. Thank you. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died, We said last week, scholars estimate, he's about 110 years old now. So he's like this curmudgeonly, crotchety old man. Does anybody want to live to be 110? I don't. Thanks. 
Joash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, we're going to get into that line too next week. There's a lot that's, that's packed in there. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands. He said it to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Apek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha said, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Only three times. You should have done it five or six. If you weren't here last week too, I had a bow and an arrow. I'm going to redeem myself this week. Had a bow and arrow. And you know what I'm thankful for? Can I just say this too? I'm so thankful that the man of God, wait, I have to wait before I show you my new bow and arrow, my new one. I'm going to hold on to this. Did you see that? Uh, Yeah, pretty interesting, the bow and arrow we had last week. I'm, I'm thankful though that the man of God, the prophet, had a bow and arrow. He had a prop. You know, sometimes what I think, I think sometimes people look at it and go, James, like some of that stuff can be a little gimmicky. No, no, no. It's not gimmicky because I look at Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if the word, when he came, used tangible objects in the natural world to explain spiritual principles, then this preacher from Middle Island, New York, is going to do the same exact thing. Yeah. And he'd say things like, look, look. I'm just going to preach a little bit, right? So don't wait for me to preach. I'm starting right now. He'd say, look at the birds of the air, right? I know, like he knows when one falls to the ground. Why are you worried about what you're eating or going to drink or the clothes that you're going to wear? Don't worry about all that stuff. Hey, you see that mountain over there? If you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell that mountain to be cast into the sea. And guess what? It's going to come to fruition in your life. He wanted to show the disciples. He wanted to show people, I'm the bread of life. And one day there's a crowd of people. And he says to the disciples, we need to feed these people. You got something to eat? No, no, we don't have anything. We can't feed them. And he said, that's right. You can't feed them. But even though you can't, I can because I'm the one who is and was and who is to come. How about with Lazarus? You know why he came to the tomb and he let Lazarus die? Because he needed a prop. And he went up to that tomb one day and he said, Lazarus, come forth right now. And he was speaking to every single dead thing in our lives. So don't, listen, don't you judge me. I can get up here. I was trained and I can exegete a text and I can sit up here and tell you everything, what it means in Greek, what it means in Hebrew. I've been doing this long enough. I've been trained. Props. Anyway, back to my point. So this is the one I had. I gave myself, this is my birthday present to myself. From, this is my birthday present to myself. Yo, what, you know how many people came up to me last week? 
My brother-in-law is in the back today because he was so worried. I didn't know how to use this thing. Aiming it the wrong way. Those arrows could have hurt someone. So I got this one. Yeah, so this one. I can't, you can't get hurt. You are, nobody is going to get hurt during the delivery of today's sermon. Wait till you see what I have for you next week. Oh, oh gosh. But it's this week, preacher. It's this week. We're not on next week yet. We're on this week. And so I said the title of the sermon is the three Ps. Are you ready for the three Ps? All right. Number one, provision. You know what I love about this story? And I said this, and I'm going to highlight a couple of things that I said last week. You know, too often we get into a story and we just kind of leave it. And we look in the rearview mirror and it's like, all right, what's next? No, 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 not what's next. We're going to sit here, ruminate on what this story says, marinate in this story, and suck the marrow out of it. That's what this is all about. And I love how the prophet says, open the east window. He didn't open the east window. He said, King Joash, you are the one to open the east window. There are things that we have to do. The prophet wasn't going to do it. He said, there's some work for you to do. And in the first P, in provision, I want us to see this morning that the bow and arrows didn't magically appear. The bow and the arrows didn't just appear out of nowhere. Guess what? They were there the entire time. They were there waiting for the king to use them. How many things are we sitting on in our lives that we're not using? How many things are we sitting on that God is saying, do you know the weapons that you have that I have given you? The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through me for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down imaginations and every high thing that would try to exalt itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have weapons, friends. Weapons. But the weapons were right there. And he didn't say, I want you to study the composition of the bow and arrows. I want you to study the history of bow and arrows. He didn't say that. He said, there's a bow and there are some arrows and there's some action that you need to take. You need to shoot the arrows over Aram. Who were the Arameans, we said, historically last week? A loose confederation of nations, and they would come together, they'd coalesce, they'd band together when there was a common opponent. And they had been oppressing the children of Israel for a long period of time. But here we are in this story, and I love it. Everything is right there for us. Everything is right there. It reminds me. How many of you know the name? J.P. Morgan, the great banker, from the late 19th century, early 20th century, we'll get this. At the turn of the 20th century, Pierpont Morgan, I love, Julius Pierpont Morgan, that's what the JP stands for. He had an art collection. He amassed a, a great array of artwork. $50 million his art collection was worth in the beginning of the 20th century. That's it, a paltry $50 million. Well, one day he asked some of his men, he said, look, there's a piece of art that I want you to locate. I don't know where it is in the world, but you're going to go find it for me. They searched high. They searched low. 
They went everywhere and they came back and they said, Mr. Morgan, we're sorry to inform you. We can't find it. You better find it. Go find it. Eventually, one of his men came back to him and said, you know what? Got some news for you. Got some good news. And the good news is you already own the piece of art that you were looking for. It was in your art collection the whole time. True story. How many things do we already have? We're always looking at lack, what we don't have. How about what we do have already in Christ that is ours? I'm glad I'm not in a Presbyterian church today. Listen, nothing wrong with the Presbyterian church, but I like a church that's a little bit alive. I like to know that it's interactive. I like to know that you're responding and you're with me. Thank you, church. And what we see as we walk into a situation is up to us. What I see is up to me. What I see in any situation is up to me. One of my favorite sermons, and I'm so glad it's the word up there, you know, the, the word that we picked for the year, reframe, cognitive framing. One of my favorite services all time. It was just so much fun with the, with the drama this past Christmas. We have to be able to look at a situation, cognitive framing, we have to have the perspective. We can look at it two ways. It's up to us. What we see is up to us. And unfortunately, I think in my own life, if I can be transparent, many times I walk into situations and I go, what am I missing? What do I lack? What don't I have? What am I missing here? Man, I wish I was better at this. I wish I had this. And we always look at what we don't have. What am I missing right here? And sometimes, people, we don't even notice the need. We can walk right by it. How many of you have kids and you know what I'm talking about? You're in the house, and how many times do those kids walk past something? Did you see that your clothes are on the ground? Did you see that you left your plate of food out for three days and nobody cleaned it up? Did you see the clothes in your room? No, I didn't see it. Really? You didn't see it? Does anybody see the garbage in this house? Am I the only one? We have a dog right now. and the do- I have a puppy. Pray for us. Pray for us. I had to clean my shoe off this morning because the dog thinks she's outside when she's inside and wants to go to the bathroom wherever she wants. TMI, I know, TMI. But it's amazing too, sometimes we can go into situations and not even see things. Now my oldest, being brutally honest, you parents maybe, you can relate to this. Why do I have to shower every single day in the summer? All right, dude, let's have like a little lesson on hygiene. You put your feet in shoes with no socks on. You take those shoes off, not even the puppy wants to be around you. Your feet stink. Stink. He's the only one sometimes I want to be like, everybody else smells it but you. Everyone smells it. And how many times in situations can we get to a place where we don't even see the need? That everyone else around us sees it, but we don't see it. Happens all the time, friends. I'm shooting, listen, I'm shooting straight today. You get it? Arrows, I'm shooting straight today, right at you. I'm trying to pull up a chair in your living room, and I'm dipping into my peanut butter squares, and I'm putting my feet up. I want to get right in your grill. 
I don't know if it's working yet, but... And sometimes we don't even see the need. All we see is the symptoms. They call it referred pain. Referred pain. You can have pain in your chest, but you feel it in your neck. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And we can have the pain there, and we try to fix it in a place that it's not coming from. David said, when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He's implying that God is the only one who knows what he really needs, what we really need. It's not what I think I need. He says, God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And the last time I checked, God is the only one that has been in our tomorrow. And if God has already been in my tomorrow, then I'm going to trust him because he knows what I need in my tomorrow. Man, that was good. I even think that was good. <laughs> Having a lot of fun. When I have more time in the summer, I have time to just sit and think, and I love it. But what if we walk into a situation, and what if we say, what am I missing? Not what am I missing, but what am I missing? What am I actually missing that I do have? What do I have? Because I'm telling you, I'm going to use every single arrow that is in my quiver. I am not going to stop. I'm going to keep firing over Aram until I have no arrows left. And listen, a lot of times I think God will wrap provision in problems. In problems. Why don't we get that? Why do we want easy Christianity? Why do we want cotton candy Christianity? Why do we want that? It's wrapped in problems, his provision sometimes. It's like the lollipop or the Tootsie Roll Pop and getting to the middle. The problem is on the outside. The provision is on the inside. But that's how we grow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not going to deliver you from a furnace. I'm going to deliver y'all in a furnace. Yeah, Daniel, I'm not delivering you from a lion's den. I'm going to deliver you in the lion's den. Come on, church. It's what he does. It's what he does best. And I'm thankful for that. And I see that. And I'm thankful too, in a lot of ways, God's an optometrist. Isn't he like an optometrist? Did you ever go to the optometrist? I went last year and the guy was like, dude, how long have you, you didn't have any glasses, right? My wife is like, you need to go to the, you can't see when you drive. You were already a bad driver. Now you can't see. You need to go get some new glasses, some new spectacles. And I feel as if God is saying, I want to do corrective eye surgery, LASIK surgery for the soul. And I want to fix some things, and I want you to see situations as they really are. Not as you think they are, but as I see them. I want you to have a new way of seeing things. And sometimes God, you know what he does, Steve? He hides provision in plain sight. You know where he hides it, Ron? In our wives. If we'll listen. I thought I'd get an estrogen praise, but I got nothing. Y'all just left me hanging. You know how many times I looked, and I'm not to put her on the spot, but I am because I'm the preacher. I only have one wife, right? So... I look at her, you know how many times, you know how many times I look to my wife for guidance and wisdom? I trust her in situations more than I even trust myself. If you know me well, you know I'm not lying. How many times he puts wisdom in front of us in the form of a spouse or a friend or a person, but we don't ask, we just kind of do it on our own. 
Provision! (laughs) And then I think sometimes too, we ask God, we ask God, God, will you change things in my life? We want God to change the situation. We don't want him to change ourselves. God, can you just change my situation? Just change my kids. And you know what we're really saying? Oh, maybe I'm, am I being too honest this morning? John, am I being too honest? Well, I think sometimes when we say that, we want God to eliminate need in our life so we don't need him, so we can do it on our own. And God says, no, 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 things don't work that way in Christianity. You will have need. You need to see your need for me, and you need to see your need for others. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God has a surveillance system over our lives and our situations. You know, like, you know, you know what I kind of am this morning? You know what I am? I'm like the UPS man dropping off Amazon packages to your house. I didn't, I didn't order it. God told me to come here and just give you this. Here's the box. Here it is. He has a surveillance system over your situation. He knows what you need. And he's going to provide for you. Stop wondering. I know. And next, oh man, I, I stay this week. Stay this week. Don't go there. I'm going to move on to number two because this is going to be a while. Number two is potential. You know that nagging, nebulous word, potential? You know what I'm talking about? Potential. How many of you like, I hate that word. I hate that word. You have potential. Yeah, okay, that means I haven't fulfilled my purpose yet, right? In essence, that's what that means. Somebody said that to me years ago. When I first, you got real potential. What does that mean? I stunk? Does that mean that sermon was no good? Right? Somebody ever said that to you before? How is it possible, looking at this story, God says, you will destroy the Arameans at Apec, but it doesn't happen. The king, it doesn't happen. How is it possible that God can announce the possibility for victory, but the king doesn't experience? How about God announcing the possibility for us to experience real freedom, but we're still shackled in bondage? How about God announcing the possibility of the announcement of peace and he sends in the Prince of Peace into the world, but there's still turmoil? How the heck does that happen? But God, you said this would happen. You said the Arameans were going to be destroyed. Just because God said something was going to happen, there's still work for us to do. Don't abdicate your responsibility of what you have to do in your life. Hey, Christian, you had a prophecy spoken over your life. Did you just go, it's going to happen by osmosis? It's just going to happen. It's going to come to fruition. I have nothing to do. Was there real work that you had to do? Just pretend it's you and me. Nobody else is here. I know Janice was perfect, right? But you had to work on some stuff. Come on. And I love it. When you look at this, God gave the victory, but we have to take the shots. We have to pull out the arrow. Don't fall asleep on me now. We have to be the ones that take out the bow and arrow, and we have to be the ones to shoot. I'm watching the World Cup last week, right? And in the World Cup, I'm like, don't you love it when you're just watching something you like, and they're giving you sermon material? The the guy, the announcer said, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And he, I don't know, ascribed it to somebody else. And I did a little research, and this is who really said it. There it is. 
How many office fans? Some of you didn't play. I don't even watch The Office, but Michael Scott said it on the... I, I rec- Wayne Gretzky's the one who said this, the great hockey player. You miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Go, Wayno! He also said, I don't, go where the puck's, I don't go where the puck is. I go where the puck's going to be. Man, I'm hockey now. What, what's going on? <laughs> World Cup, hockey... But come on, we have to take shots. Here was a, a, an opportunity of a lifetime. And what did I say Leonard Ravenhill said? Last week I said it. The opportunity of a lifetime has to be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Too many of y'all didn't get that last week. I'm giving it to you again. And it's not because of a lack of arrows or artillery that caused the king to miss the potential victory. It's because he just stopped. And we also said last week, I'd rather fall short than stop short. And I thank you. Some of you texted me and said, man, that really hit home for me because that's how I live my life. I want to be all in. And you know what? I may fail, but I'm going to fail forward. And I'm not going to say what if, what could have been, what should have been. I'm going to see it come to pass in my life. What God has spoken over my life. How about you? And it's not complete yet. And we're not living at the level of our potential many times because we're, we're living at the level of our, our preparation. How hard we prepare. Lord, I have this potential and people have spoken this over my life. I would say, how hard are you preparing? How much preparation are you putting in to seeing that come to pass in your life? How much? Just because the potential was there, there have to be things that we do. You ever watch those shows, like those fixer-up shows, the flip it, flop it, whatever, I don't know. (laughs) Joanna and Chip Gaines. I'm I'm hanging out with friends last night. Impressed I knew that. Nice. Um, Hanging out with friends last night, and uh, they were like, one of the people was like, I'm just kind of done with that. How many kids, Megan? Five? She had a fifth kid? God bless those people. Five kids? That's a lot of kids. But, right, you know what the house is going to look like at the end of the show. It's going to look beautiful. It has potential, right? And by the way, if you're looking for a mate, don't just pick somebody on potential. You better pick on patterns. You better look and see the patterns and how they treat their, their, their friends, how they treat their family. But that's, um, this isn't a dating seminar. This is not a marriage seminar. So I'm going to back right up out of that. Pretend I didn't say that. <laughs> Pretend I didn't. But so many times... We can't even see the potential in other people. We can't even see the potential in ourselves because we have issues in our past. We have dysfunction in our lives and we can't see it. Don't lie to me and say, you tell me that you, want, you know all the potential in your life and you see everything. Wow, you see really clear. Well, the rest of us don't. I don't think that's the case. And I love how we can sometimes prejudge the appearance of ordinary days Ordinary circumstances and seemingly ordinary people. You with me? I'm going to take my jacket off for this story now. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Ron Chernow? He's the uh, author of the Hamilton book. Hamilton, you want me to? See? I'll, I'll start singing Hamilton right now. <laughs> if I don't see people that know ha- Hamilton, right? Well, his most recent book, it's based off of Chernow's book, Hamilton, the, the show, Lin Manuel Miranda. And he also. Uh, wrote another book recently about Ulysses S. Grant, his meteoric rise from a, uh, from a store clerk to Civil War hero. By the fall of 1863, right? Civil War, by the fall of 1863, 
he had already garnered glory on the battlefield. So he led victories in Vicksburg down south and Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then all the politicians, nobody knew who he was. And then all the politicians, they wanted to get to know this guy. They wanted to see Grant for themselves. They wanted to rub shoulders with him. And here is the secretary of war. His name was Edwin Stanton. And Stanton was this, I don't know, he was asthmatic. He was kind of very short, uh, a really loud character. And here he is, he, wants to, he had never seen Grant with his own eyes. They had only communicated uh, via telegraph. That was the only time they had talked to each other. So he never saw him before. Well, he wants to meet him. And Grant is in Louisville, Kentucky. And there is Stanton, and he, he's the Secretary of War. So he brusquely barges into the room where Grant is, and he walks in, and there's an array of men, and it got silent. Because everybody, you know, they, they know it's Stanton that he's here. Some of the people at least knew that Stanton was there. And he walked up to a man that had an army hat on and he had a beard. And he walked up and he starts shaking the gentleman's hand. And he's shaking, give me your hand, Eric. And he starts shaking the guy's hand. And he it's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Grant. I've heard so much about you. Couldn't wait to meet you. I recognized you from your pictures. And then he finds out he wasn't shaking the hand of Ulysses S. Grant. He was shaking the hand of Grant's medical doctor. How embarrassing. You ever have embarrassing moments in your life? What was it like for Stanton at that moment? He looked at the situation, and this is what Chernow wrote in his book. I love this. He said, Stanton later admitted that in guessing which officer was Grant, he eliminated the real Grant because he looked much too ordinary and wasn't the eye-catching figure he imagined. Wow! I do a couple of more stories in there this week on purpose because of the props. What I said to you in the beginning, did it on purpose. (laughs) Purpose. Or how about January 1st? You want another one? I got another one. You want another one? I got one for you. How about January? It's all, it's, listen, it's tethered to my sermon. I'm not just telling you stories, right? January 1st, 1962, a rock band goes in for a demo. There are three executives at the DECA studio there on on New Year's Day, 1962. They play for an hour. They play their music. They are summarily dismissed at the end. And one of the executives says, guitar bands are on the way out. They judge the potential of the Beatles by the audition that they had. Are you kidding me? The greatest rock band in the history of the world. The story. How many times do we judge situations and circumstances and say there's nothing here? God wants to tell us this morning there is real potential inside of you. Yeah. And then I think of Jesus Christ, born to a destitute couple in humble surroundings. And people said, he doesn't look eye-catching. He looks just like us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He looked ordinary. And people missed it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they missed what was right in front of them. The Messiah was there, but they thought he was going to look different. How many things are we missing because it looks so ordinary? Potential, potential, potential. Is my niece here this morning? Good. 
I have a lot of nieces and nephews, right? But I have to tell you, and I'm not just saying this because she's my niece. I don't know. Lindsay Schuster? Are you kidding me? Did, did, did anyone announce, did they announce in this church? Did she, well, am I allowed to? I'm doing it now, I guess. My niece is going to West Point. West Point, yeah. Yeah, West Point. I had to bring it up because I'm like, I don't know of another person. The girl, when she was in middle school, she could barely write with the stick. She didn't know what she had. She didn't know what she was doing. I'm going to go to a D1 school. And we were all like, is this kid crazy? I'm going to go to a D1 school. Guess what? The kid's going to a D1 school. There was potential that was inside of her. And she said, I'm going to work and I'm going to pull it out. God has put something inside of me. There's a dream that I want to go chase down and nothing's going to stop me. And I'm going to be in AP classes and I'm going to go after it. And I'm not going to stop it. Woo, are you kidding me? inspiring. You want, you have young kids, you want them around somebody like that. God bless the servicemen and women in our nation that defend our great nation, right? Talked about July 4th. Anyway, back to the story, the sermon. How about when you go to the parable of the talents? Can we call it the parable of potential? I'm thinking this week, I'm going, what? let's just call it the parable of potential. Can I just show you a little piece? Because it's really interesting as, as it pertains to potential. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Good for you. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Nice job. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He buried it. The potential that was inside, he just buried it. He didn't do anything with it. And then look, when the master comes back, look what it says. Look what the text says in 20. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master! I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So here it is. I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. Here it is. It belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. What is this servant? The assumption is here. It's not that he wasn't smart enough or that he didn't care enough. The text says he was afraid. I used to think that people that didn't give it their all or that didn't persevere, they just didn't care enough. You know what I think now? You ready for this? Just my opinion. I think people sometimes, they look at situations and they get afraid, and I'm looking at myself too. People can get afraid that if I give everything that I have, it may not be enough and I may fail. Joash in this story is not lazy. I think Joash was afraid. How many times did you say, I risked myself and put myself out there, but I got my heart broken. I am never doing that ever again. We're afraid to put ourselves totally out there because we may be disappointed in life. Am I preaching? We may be disappointed. I don't know. I don't usually hear that when I hear this text, but that's what I'm seeing when I'm looking at it. I'm going, man, this guy was afraid and I want to keep something in reserve. 
The pain of falling short is nothing compared to the shame of stopping short. Nothing. You can't compare the two. You can't compare the two. Next on potential. Potential is limited. I realized one day when I looked in the mirror and I I said, I'm about a shade under 5'11". I am not made to be an NBA basketball player. I can wear J's but I'm not going to be dunking. I am not going to be a great basketball. I, there was a day when I got married to the beautiful woman sitting on the front row and I tried to put up a Christmas tree and I looked at all my tools and I wrecked the Christmas tree and I realized real quick, I am not meant to do things with my hands around the house. I realized that real quick, that potential is limited. You with me? It's limited. There's certain things that we can't do. Yeah, and I said to you before, we hate the phrase, yeah, you have potential, but we have to understand our potential is relative to our purpose. Sometimes we get, so, we've been, we get tormented because we haven't reached a certain potential, but what if we're working against uh, or towards a purpose that, that isn't even ours? So many times I see Christians, can, I, can we just keep it real again? I see so many Christians that get upset and they're tormented because I, I have this, this potential, but nobody else sees it but them. And everybody else in the body is trying to tell you, you're not a speaker, you're not this, you're not that. I just don't see it in you. And still, people are like, I, uh, this is what I want to do. Listen, God has given each of us a purpose. I love it. C.S. Lewis said, you can't put in what God left out. How come none of you write that down? I didn't say it. C.S. Lewis said it. Really? That's like the most profound thing you're going to hear all day. Anywhere, when you leave this place, that's the most profound. It's C.S. Lewis. Really. And, and you think about it too, the purpose, like, what can I use? How about I use my bow and arrow again? Let's use the bow. Yeah, yeah. If, if I said, I want to play beautiful melodic music with my bow. I want to play beautiful music. Matt, you hear the music, Matt? You hear it? Listen closely. You hear it? No. Is there music coming from this thing? No. Mike, you hear music coming from this thing? No music. It's, it's awful. If I said, I'm done with this piece of junk, right? This thing doesn't play good music. That is not the purpose for which it was created. There is a purpose that for which it was created. We can't get mad at it because it's not fulfilling the purpose we want it to fulfill. But that's how we are as Christians. That's how we are. Oh, it got quiet. That means I'm on. That means I just, boom, I hit right, boom, I hit it right there. <laughs> and, and listen, if we, if we get stuck, we got to remember process. Everything's a process. How come we hate process? Does anybody enjoy process? Long process by which you become something? I've been doing, I remember the first time they threw me in a pulpit at the old church down there. And Pastor Linda was like, you're going to preach. I don't know how to preach. I didn't, and no schooling at that point or anything. I was just a history teacher in school. Had, I'd taken some Bible classes in college, but didn't have a, you know, a, a real background, theological background. And, and Pastor Linda, God bless her, she threw me right in there. You're going to preach. I remember what the sermon was. It probably wasn't any good. But she threw me in there and I had to preach. It was a process by which I learned. And there's many ups and there's many downs. It's not easy. And the same thing goes for you. Whatever you're doing, whatever the potential is that you have, whatever the purpose is that you have. And we can get so caught up sometimes and we can think about situations and we can look at the process and go, man, I, you know, I'm trying to fulfill somebody else's uh, uh, purpose you know, in my own life. Or we can get stuck in the fact, we can look at our marriage or we can look at our parents and go, I'm so stuck in the fact that I didn't have good parents. 
So that's held me back. How about we stop letting our past hold us back from what God wants to do in the future? Your past is not a predictor of your potential and your future. Did you hear me? That's James Letchie. Your past is not a predictor of what's going to happen in your life in the future moving forward. But we do. We, I live that. I'm preaching it right now, but I'll leave and I'll get hit. Just boom, boom. Mike Tyson's punch out. I get hit because I'm playing that game right now. Got that Nintendo, the old school Nintendo system. And I'm online. I'm, I'm thinking of y'all because I've given you the illustration before of how vicarious it is when you watch other. I'm on there like trying to watch people and how to beat the characters. The game's from like 1987. What's wrong with me? Friday night, nine o'clock at night, I'm playing Mike Tyson's punch out. I had a sermon to get ready for and I'm playing Mike Tyson's punch out. Pray for me. I know none of you ever do it stuff like that stultifying, inane activities. You're all like, I don't know. You're ahead of me spiritually. Again, just pray for me. <laughs> anyway, how about, the, how about two verses that we didn't look at? I'm, I'm going to close soon. Don't worry, I'm going to close soon. Some of you are shutting me down. <laughs> Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Two ways to see it. First, whatever failure you've been through becomes your lesson for the next season in life. Listen, whatever's dead, God says, I'm going to speak to dry bones. I heard them, didn't you sing about dry bones today? Yeah, 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 that's one. But can I give you something else? This is just my opinion looking at this text. What if Elisha died with unfulfilled potential? What if he died with one more miracle in his life that he was supposed to perform? We look at it and go, man, it's amazing, right? I'm twisting this. I'm, I'm flipping the story because you probably heard this story preached that the bones touched Elisha's bones and then boom, it came to life. What if Elisha, there was more for him? He's preaching to the king. There's more for you. But what if there was more for him? What if there was more for him? And what if there's more for us? Music team, you could start to come up because I'm going to hit my last point and this one's not going to be that long. You could start to come up. Somebody can hit that keyboard. And the last one is perseverance. That's our last P this morning. Perseverance. And the text says the king quit after striking the arrow three times in the ground. And we're going to get to this next week. Isn't it weird sometimes? Are arrows made to be struck into the ground? The creation of an arrow, is it made to be struck into the ground? No. And we're going to get into that next week in terms of our preparation and doing things sometimes would that make no sense. How many of you are going to come back for that? I'm telling you the best. I'm saving the best for last. I'm you, don't listen. Don't be like, well, I, oh man, I wish I was. Uh, this, the best is coming next week. And we are, sometimes God asks us to do stuff and it doesn't make any sense. Perseverance. You should have used all your arrows and kept striking until everything in life reflected what God had spoken over your life. Why do we stop? Why do we quit? I love this. And how about in prayer? Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from England, talked about prayer. In, uh, and I read this in a book. Uh, Pastor Linda had been talking about this book, Crying Out. And he taught that he said, red hot prayer means praying perseveringly. He said, the one who prays gathers force as he proceeds and grows more fervent when, when God delays to answer. 
And he gave examples. Job, I cry out to you, but you don't answer me. You read the book of Job. David, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. How many times have we stopped in prayer when God said, I mean, away with the theology. You pray once for something and that's it. If you don't get it, we need to pray and keep praying and keep praying until what God has spoken or the promises that he's given come to pass in our lives. Why are we quitting? Don't quit on me yet right now. The sermon's not over. I'm not laughing. I'm being serious. I know you have things to do. I know it's beautiful outside. I'm not done yet. And I'm not apologizing. If you can't stay awake for this, I don't know what's wrong with you. I've made this entertaining enough for you. I'm t- I don't care. I'm speaking the truth. I don't care. You don't like it? Whatever. And then you look at 17 and 18. Look at this. And 18. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. Plural. Take the arrows. Every single one. He didn't say take one arrow, king, and shoot it. Strike it into the ground. He said, take every single arrow and do not stop. Here's my final story. Ready? I threw one more story in there for you because it's just too good not to. On September 28th, 1918, there's an incident that would go down in the lore of World War I history. Although the details are still hotly debated today. Still a little bit unclear. Nobody knows the true facts on this. I'm a history teacher too. This story is really interesting to me. I have some other history people in the house. Nobody knows for sure what really happened. There was a private by the name of Henry Tandy, okay? Henry Tandy, a British soldier serving near a French village, reportedly encountered a wounded German soldier and declined to shoot him, sparing the life of none other than 29-year-old Lance Corporal Adolf Hitler. He was the most decorated, Tandy was the most decorated private in the British Army in World War I. And what's wild is, in the final moments of the battle, as the German troops are in retreat, he would say, I took aim at a German soldier that was shot. I took aim, but couldn't shoot a wounded man. He nodded at the German soldier, and the German soldier, supposedly Hitler, nodded back as if to say thank you. Story's not over yet. What's so interesting, though we don't have sources to prove the exact whereabouts of Hitler on that day in 18, there's a really interesting link. You see, there's a photograph. I want you to look. Look at this photograph. It's appeared in the London newspapers of Tandy carrying a wounded soldier in another battle. Later on, it was portrayed on a canvas painted by an Italian artist glorifying the Allied war effort. As the story goes, right, As the story goes, one more picture. That's a picture of of British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain. And he met with Hitler in 1938 in a last-ditch effort to avoid another war in Europe, another massive war. He was taken by the Fuhrer to the Fuhrer's new country retreat. There, Hitler showed Chamberlain his copy of this painting. Wow. Has a copy. And he commented, that's the man who nearly shot me. Chamberlain would write about this. The authenticity of the encounter, right? It remains in dispute, but I love what one historian said. It's interesting that Hitler would have a reproduction of this painting as early as 1937, a strange acquisition for a man who had been furious and devastated by the German defeat at the Allied hands in the Great War. 
And here's the last quote. This is what Tandy said at the end. He wrote this. These are his words. If only I had known what he would turn out to be when I saw all of the women and children he had killed and wounded, I was sorry to God I let him go. Wow, a story. So you, you got theology today. You got history today. You got some culture today. You got the word today. How crazy is this story? And if you can't figure out why I included this story in my sermon, it's because he stopped. And I know you're saying, well, he, that was the right thing to do. There was an injured man. It's war. It's war. Lee, where's Lee? Lee, you were in Vietnam. You were in Vietnam. The enemy is out there. The enemy's going to get you or you're going to get the enemy. How many times are we stopping and God is saying, I need you to persevere. I don't need you to stop right now. This is the time to go, to go all in and to go all out for the one that has it all and is all. It's time. Stand to your feet, church. I'm done. Stand to your feet. The three P's. Provision, potential, perseverance. It's your job again. I say it all the time. You have to take the doggy bag. You have to take it home and you have to work with this. How is your heart? The soil. How is your soil? You have to take it and now you have to work with it. I prepared. It's your job now to take it. They prepared. They're ready to go. It's our job now to take it and use it, utilize it, and implement it in our lives. Lord, Lord, I ask that the devil would not steal, he would not kill, and he would not destroy anything that you had me say here today. Father, take my feeble words, Lord. Take those words, Lord, enliven them and let them move inside hearts right now. Let people see the potential that you have put inside of them. Lord, may they not stop short, Lord. May, who cares if they fall short, Lord? But we're going to keep going. Lord, help us to see provision. It's wrapped in problems. Help us to see a lot of times it's through the difficult seasons of life. You're providing, but you're trying to grow us. Lord, help us to see process. Help us to see that you want us to persevere and endure till the very end and be like all the saints that have gone on before us. May it be for City on a Hill Community Church. May we be a church that continue to move on like all the saints did, like Esther did, and like David did, and like Paul did, and like Peter did, and like Matthew did. I don't know, Bartholomew and Bartimaeus. Lord, may we be like the cloud of witnesses. May we keep moving in spite of what we see. We're not going to be moved by what we see. We are not going to be moved, Father. Lord, give us real faith in this hour to believe, Lord. May we shoot our arrows over Aram, Lord. Every single one in our quiver. May we not stop. May we keep shooting, Lord. And I'm praying right now that the arrows that get shot as people are praying, Lord, that depression would be released in this place. Lord, that marriages would be reconciled right now, that the arrows would be shot. The Lord would say, pick up your arrows that you have. What are you sitting on, church? Use what I've given you. Stop looking at what you don't have. Look at what you do have. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.